I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star House of Design, produced and distributed by the team that brings you Convo by Design, with another story about design and architecture from the great state of Texas, featuring Dallas-based designer Lindley Arthur, and a chat about the pivot, second careers, and making every opportunity count. <laughs> If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that you have to keep your head on a swivel, keep your eye out for the next opportunity, maximize on the work you're doing now, and stay busy. Keep moving. Lindley Arthur is a design pro who was previously a PR pro. She knows that part of the game and has used that to build her own firm. Smart. This is Lindley Arthur. You know, it's nice today. It was 101 here yesterday. Are you are you in L.A.? Uh, I am in L.A., and L.A. is home, and I've been back for 13 years, uh, but lived in Dallas twice for a total of nine years. Okay. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's great. Yeah, Dallas, as you know, can get really, really hot, so it's... It can. Yeah. I mean, I mean how is it out there? Are they, have they opened anything back up? Are y'all still under lockdown? Um, so we are, we're, well, California's weird because you, they're, they're very, I don't want to call it indecisive, but you get things in dribs and drabs. You get, and because California is, is a big state, it's the state of California, then county of Los Angeles, and then the city in which I live. So, you know, I'm confused. Everyone's confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I know, I know y'all are so ready to just, we're totally opened back up here, which is just kind of crazy. How, um, how, a question. Um, how did the design community react to this whole thing? And when you say you're open again, what does that mean? Does that mean showrooms just sort of threw open their doors and you're, you're going? No, no, they definitely did not just throw open their doors. I mean, it was, it was, Again, like a slow, kind of a slow reopening. And there are still, I mean, there's still a handful of showrooms in the design district that you have to have appointments to even go in. So, um, no, I mean, it's it's not been just, here we go, full throttle ahead. But for the most part, I mean, things are, things are you're able to like at least get the fabric samples you want or make an appointment to go see a rug if, if that's the worst case scenario. But I mean, for a couple of, you know, for really two full months, I mean, there was no getting any samples at all, you know? How did that, how how did that, yeah, how did that affect um, your business? You know, I think it just slowed things down. I mean, we just were slow um, in terms of being able to turn things around. We couldn't be as efficient. We like to kind of get things to our clients as quickly as possible. So they're not having to like wait and just, you know, just keep the project timeline going. And it just, it just made things slower. Um, but everything's slower. I mean, I just got a, uh, just sent an update to get a, on a chair in Ottoman I had ordered, you know, back in February and they're telling me it's going to be August, which is crazy, but they had to shut, you know, everything in North Carolina shut down. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the projects, did any of your clients cancel or, or any of the new projects you had? Did anybody cancel? No, no. we had nobody cancel. In fact, we have had an pretty much a new project inquiry every single day. And when this thing started to, you know, first started, I mean, I, I think me along with any other small business owner was, was a little panicky, you know, yeah. we were worried that, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to be able to make it through this? Are we going to ever, is anyone ever going to design their home again? And I think actually it's had the reverse effect. I think people have been stuck at home and I think they've been looking at their rooms and their things and saying, you know, I want to change this. And home just seems to have 
I don't know, a little bit more of a value now because, because of this. And so we haven't had that at all. We've had a couple of lake house projects come up. We had, you know, here in Dallas, there's a couple of lakes nearby and people that had lake houses pretty much vacated the city and went and lived in their second homes. And, and there were, you know, there's been a lot of families that have decided to go ahead and invest in one. And so we've had um, two or three projects sign on that are full lake houses just right outside of town that I think are a result of this pandemic, you know? Interesting. I, I think, I think too, that the design industry has been completely changed and, and transformed through this experience. And I think we're just, we're just at the tip of the iceberg to see ways in which that's going to manifest itself. I, I completely agree. I have a good friend who's a designer out in Amarillo, Texas, and she has launched a e-design business and virtual design. And she is just, it's blown up, you know, people maybe that don't have access that admire her on Instagram, like, like her work, they reach out to her now. I mean, they can do a full room just from FaceTime video. So that's something that I think people are going to start doing a lot more of for sure. Um, in all honesty, I really hope not. And I, I, I wish the best. I, I, <laughs> I wish the best. Well, me too. You yeah. can't get the full effect of, I mean, you know, there's something about walking through a home be, as a designer, being inside the house, feeling how it flows, um, that you just don't get the same feel from from a FaceTime call. Plus, like the text, you know, the textures and, and those things don't translate well over the phone. So um, I agree. I agree. And plus, so much of what we love about what we do is just, our, our interaction with our clients. I mean, we end up really having a lot of good friendships form out of the relationship and out of the project. And, you know, it's just not the same when you're not face to face. Totally. Uh, and, and, you know, my experience with designers personally is that, you know, I, I love the, the tactile feeling of, of fabric. I love, I love the way fabric smells. I love the way that, you know, you gotta, you gotta feel a chair, you gotta feel the sturdiness, you gotta do the sit test, you gotta, you know, right. when you're a client, you wanna, you wanna do all those things. And I just don't think, and I also think that the, the artistry in what you do is, right. is an in-person thing. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I think that we have also elevated our ability to telecommute and to communicate. Not everything has to be an in-person meeting, right? Right. So No, not everything does, but I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think that you, something is lost without it. You know, something, yeah. is, something is lost without it. There's, it just feels a little bit more generic or something. Yeah. Now, so really interesting. Um, you started out as a publicist. I did. <laughs> I did. It's so funny. I Yeah, I went to journalism school at um, the University of Oklahoma and got out of school and for the first 10 years, like did a full career in public relations. Um, I worked for some corp you know, major corporations and then also just for Neiman Marcus, which is local here and um, a local publication. And I was always interested in design. I I laugh at one of my um, corporate jobs. I, I grass clothed my cube, my cubicle. And, <laughs> and I mean, funny. everybody kind of looked at me like I was just cuckoo. And I had like a cool lamp in there and grass clothed walls. And, um, and I loved PR, but I, I think I always, um, I always loved design. You know, as a little girl, I liked to rearrange my room with my friends. And, um, you know, I just, I think it was in me. I just think, I had a I had a gift as a writer, and so I just naturally just kind of went into PR because of that. But 
Um, looking back, I think the PR career is so beneficial to just what I do every day. Cause I mean, you know, I was trained in crisis communications and I mean, you know, this is a little bit of that, you know, I mean, clients get something goes wrong or, um, you know, it comes in incorrectly. I mean, a lot of what we do is PR, you know, with our clients. Yeah, no, a lot of what you do is PR. And and as the associate, I'm also the associate publisher and online editor for Interiors California Magazine. And, uh, you know, dealing with, with publicists, and some of my best friends are, are publicists, but I think that having that background in publicity probably really helped you launch your design firm. Yeah, I know. I think so. I think it just gave me confidence in like working with other people, you know what I mean? And just, and how to handle when something goes wrong, you know, what, what to do. And it's always to just be upfront and honest and to let the client know and fix it for them, you know, and that, that's the thing, the best designers make mistakes, you know, and I've, I've made a couple of mistakes that are expensive and, you know, I was horrified when I realized it, but you know, the, the, the wrong thing is to try and cover it up. The right thing is always just to be honest with your client. And, and I think that, that builds credibility and, um, you know, we're all human. We all are going to make mistakes. It's just, it's how you handle it. It is how you handle it. And making mistakes is, it's one of those things too, isn't it? Where everybody makes mistakes, but in design and architecture, mistakes are just more costly. Yeah, they are costly. I have a couple of, I've had a couple of costly mistakes, but I will always say, you know, some of the couple of the girls who work with me, they just starting out. And when they've made a mistake, they're, oh, they're horrified. But you learn so much from those mistakes. You know, the the one time you order a light fixture that is, you know, too large, or the one time you order a counter stool that should have been a bar stool height, you never make that mistake again. You know, you do, it just, it teaches you so much. So, but yes, it's costly. It is costly. And then, <laughs> and then you wind up with great new furnishings around your own house that you That's maybe... right. <laughs> that, that is right. I mean, we, hopefully we can always find a place for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Well, it's interesting too, because after publicity, then you, you opened a store. I did. It, it was actually an antique booth. I grew up, um, my mom was, has always loved design and loved antiques. And she, after I got out of, got, got out of college, I bought my first house and got married and wanted to furnish it. And so she and I started to go to Round Top, which is a, you know, a big antique fair in central Texas and buy things for our homes. And it was a fun girl's trip and it just was something I always looked forward to. And after I had my boys and I came home, you know, I just think that's, that's a time when after you've been in corporate America and you're home with kids, it was, it was kind of a lonely time. And I, I always, always liked to work. And so um, I thought, well, gosh, you know, maybe I'll just start buying some of these antiques and selling them. And I opened up a little booth at Antique Row in, here in Dallas, and it was the tiniest little spot in the back. And I just had so much fun with it. It was perfect for me because, um, you know, I had young children at home and I didn't have to, I didn't want to be some, didn't want to work where I couldn't, you know, be with them. But um, I still wanted to do something. And so that is how I started. And, um, and then that business just kind of slowly grew. And um, now I'm, st- I'm still there. I've been there, oh gosh, over, I think almost over 10 years now. And my booth is in the front. It's large. I have a, a large antique business here in Dallas. And um, it's been great. It's and My design business just kind of naturally grew out of that. It was None of this was ever really planned, per se. 
And it's interesting too, because then you have, you have a place for any and all mistakes that. (laughs) So funny. You say that I have a lantern hanging in there right now. That was too big for a lake house project. (laughs) And it's hanging there in that space. I try really hard not to have it, have my space. You know, I definitely buy specifically for the space, but you're right. I mean, there definitely is a, it's a place to sell, sell something if I have to. Well, and I, I, I'm also a fan of the happy accident. And when you talk yeah. about you, you talk about Roundtop, and I, I love I love Roundtop. Um, but there's an issue with with Roundtop or you know Coachella or High Point or anything Marfa, you know anything that's cool that gains popularity tends to get overcrowded. Uh-huh. And it it ceases to be what it once was and what it started out to be, and you know what I mean. When you do, uh, absolutely, do you, do you absolutely, still, I've seen it change. Do you still look forward to that to that trip to Roundtop? Do you still go? I still go. I I you know Roundtop has multiple shows within the two weeks that the the fair is open, and Marburger, which is. Um, one of the the nicer quote unquote nicer shows where high end pieces are sold. Um, I always I would never miss Marburger. That was always the one I always made sure I I went to. And, I, and listen, it's a beautiful beautiful show, but I don't go to that show every year anymore. And the reason is because the prices have just gotten so incredibly high. And when I'm buying, I'm buying to resell. And I can't you know I could go to Marburger and find things for a project, uh, you know, for a client, but in terms of being able to resell, I can't, their, their prices are too high. But to answer your question, I've loved going. I mean, I love the whole feel of being out in the country with friends. I love all the mom and pop food trucks that set up. I love, we stay in an old farmhouse and sit on the screen porch at night and drink wine. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fun trip, but yeah, it's changed. I mean, the prices have continually grown and inflated and, and then you've got some shows that have just gotten overrun with reproductions or junk you know, my mom and I call them Hungarian goulash. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, fat pillows with feathers on them and, and, you know, signs that say something cheesy. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's kind of unfortunately come in and, you know, diluted some of the really pretty antique dealers. Well, and isn't, isn't that the way it is, too? And I, I think what's interesting, and you can, you can tell, the, the design shows that remain strong regardless of time, tend to be the ones where there's such a, a, a strict hold on what it is, what it means, who it's for. And when you know those things and it's clear, then it seems, it, it, but, the, the, but the operators have to, have to say a lot more no's to people and they have right. to turn things down. <laughs> and depending on the economy, sometimes it's hard to do that. Now, the show obviously this year was, was canceled and I'm sure it will be back. I have a feeling, though, that when things come back, they're going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Roundtop is this fall. It is going to be very, very interesting. And, you know, what's going to be hard about it is that, you know, the dealers, the actual antique dealers that set up there, they haven't been able to travel to Europe to buy. Right. And so they are not going to have the inventory that they usually have. So there's just, you're going to see a lot. I think it's going to be a completely different show just in that regard too. I'm, I'm a little worried about it. I won't miss it, but I just, um, you know, they haven't been able to buy. So they're, everyone's kind of having to get creative 
in where they source their things, whether it be estate sales or auction, you know, but it's not going to be from Europe right now. What is, what is the state of design in Dallas right now? I mean, I think design, from what I have seen, it has absolutely not been affected by COVID. I mean, I think people are still designing their homes. Like I said earlier, home just has a, um, has a new meaning for everybody and they want, they want to invest in their homes. So I, you know, I have a handful of really good friends that are designers and I don't think any of us have seen a real marked slow in our business, you know, slow, slow down in our business. But, you know, that remains to be seen, I guess, in what has going to happen with the economy in the coming months. But right now it's booming. Actually, I'm, I'm more interested before that at the actual state of design and I'll back up a second, you know, having done the podcast combo by design for seven years, I started Lone Star House of Design because I wanted, having lived in Dallas for, for nine years and having, I travel around Texas extensively and seeing the, the type of work that's being done. And, you know, Texas really is, is a Republic. It really is an entity unto itself. And it's so vast and so different and has so many different microclimates and, and geographies and societally and culturally, it's so different. And I'm curious, even before this, what the, what the state of Dallas is, what the state of design is in Dallas from, like from a designer's perspective, the, the showrooms, Market Hall, um, the the gatherings ASID I, I I kind of feel like the the state of design in any in any location is you can tell the strength of it by how the community gathers and how the community interacts with one another and I'm and I'm curious what the state of the design community is I mean I think it's I think we have a very cohesive community I think we all I mean the most of the designers in Dallas are you know friend friends with one another and share you know share sources and you know are are rooting each other on or each other's cheerleaders i think um you know we have a lot of a lot of events in dallas just through d home and you know like you mentioned dallas market center dallas design center the different showrooms and i mean i i feel like it's a str- dallas is a strong community of designers that are that are all different styles. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's modern designers in Dallas. There's designers that are lean, more traditional. There's designers that do a little bit of both, but I I feel like it's just a really cohesive community, regardless of, you know, what type of client or style you tend to gravitate toward. I'm curious if there are any pockets of the Metroplex that are that are popping up that you, that you find of, of interest now. And I, and I say that knowing DFW the way that I do um you know when when I first lived there uh my wife and I we were we were down on the M streets right and we were renting this this tiny little house on Vickery and loved that area but it was a complete up and comer and mm-hmm. you know then it then it just blew up once it blows up and you you get to you know Highland Park status or close because you're adjacent then you people who want to do something different kind of have to look for, for a new place to go. And it's just this, it, it really is this undulating fluid situation where, where new, new areas are popping up all the time. And, and it went so far North that, I mean, you're almost in Oklahoma right now. 
<laughs> you really, you really are. It's almost, it's almost touching the Oklahoma border, I think. But um, I know Dallas. The community Dallas has grown so much, and I mean, I, I'm a native Dallas side. I grew up here, and I, my grandmother lived in McKinney, and I can remember feeling like that was so far away. Here, <laughs> and now I'm just like, I just realize how close that is. And yeah, I mean, Dallas is the suburbs have exploded. We don't do a lot of work in the suburbs. You know, we do most of our work in Central Dallas. Most of our clients are in the Park Cities, Preston Hollow area. But that's also because a lot of our business is referral based and and that's where we live. And so that's just where we happen to do a lot of our work. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like Dallas around the central city, I mean, you've got most of those areas are already developed. I do think a lot of people are starting to look a whole lot more at Oak Cliff and at Kessler Park just because the topography is so beautiful down there. And you can still get a lot of land for a pretty decent price. Um, but, you know, yes, kind of where we work in central Dallas, it's it's um, the same as it all. You know, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> it's just it's um, it hasn't grown that much. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, it's funny because the, the the first time I lived there, I was I was actually the music rep for um, The Edge. And so. OK, cool. And so I spent a great deal of time down in um, Deep Ellum and, you know, at times had to had to go. This is you know, this is like late 90s when the, yes. the Dallas, when the music scene absolutely blew up in Texas uh-huh. that right. that alt rock music scene i mean i saw Edie Brickell at trees I, it was just the the bands i that, love Edie Brickell i might have been there i saw her at trees too really uh-huh i might have been there <laughs> that's hilarious we might have been there at the same time it's we just, might have yeah deep Ellen is um has has actually it's really sad it's it's not what it used to be at all i mean a lot of that is closed down there kind of the new cool area is the Bishop's Art District, which like I mentioned, is kind of down there by Kessler Park. And there's a lot of really cool restaurants and shops and a couple of bars down there. That's kind of the new um, pocket that is developed in Dallas probably since you've left. Back to the state of design. What are, what are some, I'm just curious, what are some of the, some of the showrooms um, and some of the stores and, some of the manufacturers that you feel are doing uh, are doing right by the design community. Who are you crushing on right now? Who do you like? Who do you like? Oh my gosh! Well, I we love we. When I say we, I say me and the girls who work with me. We we are always on the hunt for a textile that is not overdone, right? We don't. We get really bored quickly with a, a fabric that has been shown on Instagram a hundred times, and so much so that we almost become, you know adverse to it. We don't even want to use it or touch it anymore. So we're always looking for indie designers or, you know, some sort of little new fabric, you know, textile company that's doing something that's new and it isn't all over the place. So we love, love, love James Showroom, which has got a location in Dallas, Austin, and Houston. They bring in a lot of smaller, kind of more artistic textile lines that are maybe not quite as well known. And likewise, we feel um, we love Supply Showroom, um, and they're based in Austin, but they've got a great rep here in Dallas who brings us um, memos and is always keeping us kind of, um, you know, informed of like what the newest, coolest little line they're carrying is. And that's that's really, I think, um, for us, what we and for me, what is so important is to keep things fresh and to not do the same thing over and over again. You know, a lot of times some of these larger fabric companies, not, not that they don't produce beautiful things because they do, but a hundred, they've been seen a hundred thousand times. Mm. 
And suddenly the design just isn't as special anymore because, oh, I know that fabric, it's so-and-so and so-and-so, and I saw it in X, Y, and Z friend's house. Well, that's, that's great, but it's not, it's not unique. And so we really try in all of our designs to bring in fabrics um, and, and other things too, you know, furnishings and lighting and accessories that, that people don't all have. And I think that's why I love antiques so much is I really think it's so important to just introduce one or two of those in every project because that is not reproduced. Nobody else is going to have it. It's unique to your home. It makes your home special. So I would say, you know, those are really supply and James though, are probably our two favorite, um, showrooms right now, just because they introduce such interesting new different textiles. I, I love that, and all, and also, um, do you find yourself doing road trips down to Houston, over to Austin, to to see what's new? Because you almost have to, because they're so different. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Dallas has. I mean, like we don't have supply, but because we have our rep, we we are pretty we're pretty saturated with being able to get to our hands on just about any sort of um, you know textile or trim or wall covering. But where I do think that is so important is um, I think there's so many great shops around Texas that have really great curated collections of interesting accessories, art, and antiques. And so, yes, I mean, in Houston, I love going to Houston. I think they've got such a great, um, you know, such a great amount of interesting shops. And so there's one that I love down there called Found for the Home. And I so we source from them a lot, you know, um, because they are they've got interesting different items that we can add that something unexpected to a design. Your your firm, uh, how many designers do you have? Three. Yes. So there's me, and then I've got Nicole, who's a really dear friend of mine. Katie and Callie are also dear. We're we're all really good good friends and um, collaborate together. But they all each sort of spearhead their own projects if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I, and it's really one of the, the reason I'm, I'm sort of going in that direction. I pick up on that is because design now is so collaborative. It used to, it used to be where, where a single designer could have, you know, their own office and you've got your own sample library and, and you've got all of your own resources and you just sort of, you're on an Island and you're isolated and you do your own thing. I don't feel like we can really, we can do that effectively anymore in in design and i feel like this this cohab this cohabitating office this collaborative effort is, is really is really interesting we will always i mean more before covid but when we would all be in the office together and we'd be working on a project like even if it was my i was the project manager on the project i always get the girls input they always get mine um, you know, sometimes you just need a fresh set of eyes. You know, Nicole, who works with us, is an artist. Her, she's got a you know background in fine art and painting, and so she's got this incredible eye for color, right? Well, you know, sometimes I need that eye to look at a scheme and say, you know what? Why don't you pop this color in? I think it would complement, you know, the fabric you're using for the chair. And it may be something I would have never even thought about, you know. And she got that final little touch on it that made it made it work. And it's because she's got that great eye, you know, so for, for color because of her painting background. I'm also curious as I look, you know, I, I, I can glean so much information from designers just by their website. And you look at certain images and certain images that you choose. And it's interesting too, because 
as a publicist, you've selected certain images that really represent the firm the way you want it to be represented. And I'm noticing in one of the images that it looks like you have a floor-to-ceiling wall um, with with baskets, and I'm I'm imagining that that's where your sample library is. Yes, okay. that is where our sample library is. Yes. So tell me about that now too, because with with limited space and so many manufacturers out there and everyone's trying to get samples in your hands. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, as a designer, how do you edit? How do you select? And how do you how do you manage that library? Because you know what? I've talked to other designers and it can get out of control if you let it. Yes, it can. So we continually, our office is tiny. I mean, I think I've got just shot under 400 square feet in here. It is so little. But so we have to be careful on how much we keep because we don't have room. Um, we have our basket walls just arranged by color and, and scale. And so what we will do is we'll, you know, we'll fill the baskets, but every couple of months I go through every single basket and I return anything that either we've never used or we don't ever think we're going to use, or like I said earlier, we've used too much. And so those samples then go back because we don't want to source from them anymore. Um, and then in terms of like presentations, you know, I really try to not feel like I'm hurting the reps feelings. I mean, it's, you know, when they come to, to present fabrics, you know, you just want to be like, Oh, I love that. I let you, know, you feel badly. If you're like, I don't really want that, but we know what sells to our clients. We know. And to keep on hand, we want to keep those pieces that we know we can use a lot of for, you know, until we get tired of it, that is, or if it's a great basic, that's a durable blend that we think we can use for upholstery, over and over again, great. Um, but once we've used it a lot or once um, it's been sitting there for a while and we haven't used it, we return it. And th- and if we don't, if we have a presentation and we don't think it's going to sell, we don't request it. Uh, who are who are some of the companies out there that are, that are doing the best job representing product samples? Here's what I'm looking for. Be- because you know samples are a big thing to me. I had a I had a gathering a while ago um, with about eight designers and architects, and we started talking about the concept of a sample library. And kind of to your point, what you're talking about is there isn't enough space to have everything that everyone wants you to have in there. There are some companies that do a much better job, and within that, more designers now. Really interesting, and I and I feel like this this recent pandemic has added to this but american made is becoming more and more important and i was trying to figure out if it's because it's a national pride issue where mm-hmm. it's you know we want american made because we want to support the us or is it because we know i'm doing a fundraiser right now for um one of my kids high school projects and we're we're making masks and it was really important to the kids to have american made and it was important to me too but it was important for different reasons for them it was kind of like a, we would just want to make sure we're doing the right thing for me it was these are masks you're wearing over your face the materials if they come from the u.s we have certain regulations you know pesticides mm-hmm. and chemicals that are not going to be used here that are used elsewhere because it's easier and it's cheaper to raise that material so I'm curious, your process as you go through it, sort of what you're feeling about American-made versus um, made overseas, made elsewhere, and can you get the products that you want 
efficiently and affordably? You know, I think what I have noticed um, is the American-made products are usually a lot easier for us to get quickly. Um, you know, that with the exception of those items that are like hand printed or hand blocked that just have a long lead time. But I mean, the majority of like the textile companies in America, we are able to get them within two or three weeks. Right. And that's important for us to keep the project on, on point and on schedule. Some of these lines that are made overseas, there's one in particular that for whatever reason, it takes, even if it's in stock, it will take us three to four weeks to even remotely get the, the bolt of fabric. And so, you know, we tend to really want to order more. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily a pride thing with America, but it's also just it's easier to sometimes to work with the American companies just in terms of getting your product. Interesting. And then, you know, a subset of that is actually made in Texas and then made in Dallas. And I'm and I'm curious because it's been a while since I've lived there and I'm not as as heavily involved in the design community as as I'd like to be. What what is from a local artisan standpoint and and fabricators and workrooms, do you do you have is it is it growing? Absolutely. And we have there are a lot of well, I don't want to say a lot, but a handful of super talented local designers here in Dallas that are doing um, wallpaper and, and textile lines um, that we love and have, you know, we have personal relationships with them. And, and those are, there's one named Megan Adams Brooks, who does beautiful, beautiful fabrics. She's actually an artist as well, but she has beautiful fabrics and wall coverings that match. And then there's another good friend of mine who's Ann Jackson, who also does like, she was an artist and does sort of painterly textiles and wall coverings. And, you know, I think a lot of art, what I'm seeing is a lot of artists in Dallas and, and Texas are, are finding other ways to represent their art other than the canvas. And that a lot of times translates into wall coverings and textiles. And, um, you know, I think it's just, I think it's beautiful and innovative. And I also think it's great to be able to support these local craftsmen, you know, because there's something about having a relationship with somebody, knowing the actual person who produced the material. It just makes it a little more special. Well, it does. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because I, I go back to my experience in music, and it's the same way. Late 90s, Dallas in particular, Texas in general, had a huge uh, – it was a boom for, for music, for alternative music in Texas in the, in the late 90s. A, a bunch of really great bands – Deep Blue Something, Toadies came came out of came out of Texas, and what's what's really interesting is I feel like any art form that that grows or is you know that that has a, has a seed that that begins to grow, and when they're when they're accepted and embraced by the local community who then use them, that's when things get big. It goes back to it goes back to Roundtop, right? Roundtop, right? Roundtop is still something that's very special. But it, it's different than what it started out as because it, it became more general market than specialized. And that's why I'm always curious about local, locally grown arts. Right. Makes sense? Right. No, absolutely. I, and I, and I, think, I think Dallas has seen a lot of that. You know, I think they are. And I think that it's, you know, I always, anytime I, there's a woman in business, I always want to support her especially somebody who's, you know, doing something that's 
as beautiful as these ladies are. I love that. So, um, I, what what events? So, Kips Bay, Dallas. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, sh- isn't that exciting? It is exciting. Is it going to happen this year? Do you think? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, they're they're acting like it is, and we sure hope it is because that we I can't wait to go. But yeah, I mean, I think it's still moving forward. I mean, I'm sure there will be, um, you know, some regulations involved with it. But um, yeah, fingers crossed, it does. Yeah, I know. I know that out here we have the Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts, and the house is almost done. It's going to happen, but the question is, in in what in what sense does it happen? Yeah, I don't know. We um, we have a great event here in Dallas called um, Thrift Studio at Benefits Dwell, Dwell with Dignity. And every year, um, they select a handful of designers to do a vignette that mm-hmm. is then shoppable for um, the public. And all the money goes to Benefit Dwell with Dignity, which provides, um, pre- you know, beautiful housing for the homeless. And I'm, our firm was one of the designers this year. And we had literally, um, we had so much fun doing our vignette and had all these amazing local sponsors that donated things. And it just was, a, it was a blast. Um, but literally we installed it the first week of um, March and the party was supposed to be April and it was canceled. Mm, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, they, they're, they're saying it's postponed and I think it, you know, I think it will still go on, but it won't be quite the same as it was going to be. It won't be the big crowd, but you know, I'm hoping that they, it's such an important fundraiser for this organization that I'm just praying that it just, you know, still is able to draw a big crowd. Have you, have you ever done a design house? You know what? I haven't done a design house. This was kind of our first, like dipping our toe into doing something kind of like that was this dwell with dignity. I would be thrilled to do a design house one day. I, I had so much fun doing this because I, I got to do what I wanted to do <laughs> right? and, and not have to sort of, and not that I don't like translating the client's um, you know, vision. I do, but it was, there was something nice about just absolutely getting to just have free reign on the design and do what I wanted to do. So I think it would be so fun to do a show house. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you, you get to, you get to tell a story that, that you write, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like many designers, it really is the nature of the business. When you're, when you're designing for clients, you're illustrating their story you know, their, their story is written and, and you're illustrating it. You're, you're making it come to life. I feel like, right. I, you know, I've done a lot of work with the uh, Set Decorators Society of America and set decorators have the, have the most interesting job in the world. Uh, if I wasn't doing this, I would be doing that. I, I just, yeah, it's so I can't, cool. I've never even thought about that job, but it sounds awesome. It's that am- would be super fun. Yeah, it's amazing because they're not designing for a client. They're designing for a page. So mm-hmm. the story's already been written. And now they go in, and the characters are already developed, but there is no there is no physical manifestation of what their world looks like. So they're creating it, and and I I kind of feel like a design house does that. You still have your parameters, you know. You still have sure. You're still working sure. within a construct um, that's well defined, but you get you get you get to, to you know create. It's your vision. Yeah. it's your vision. It is your vision and your creativity at play, and and without any really real input from somebody else, you know. And that's it's it was so fun, and so I I think it, I I think it would be I can't wait to see Kips Bay and see what these designers do. I mean I've I, I just think I've seen the pictures, but I've never gone, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And and by the way, Lindley, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was an honor. It really was. I appreciate you you asking me to talk. Thank you, Lindley. I appreciate you, your work, and that approach to growth. Now, more than ever, 
actually, it's <laughs> very helpful. Please subscribe to the show so you catch every episode of Lone Star, House of Design, and Convo by Design. Ask Alexa or Siri, say, hey Siri, play Convo by Design podcast, and she will. You can follow the show on the socials as well, at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram, or you can check us out at ConvoByDesign.com. You can also check the YouTube channel for videos from some of your favorite episodes. Thank you for listening, and until next week, be well and keep creating. Mm-hmm.